Fierce Female Filmmakers, a production of Artemisia's Daughters, a non-profit organization that aims to inspire, educate, empower, and employ women of all ages and backgrounds in the film and TV industries. Welcome to Fierce Female Filmmakers. Today, my guest is Elizabeth Healy. She's an award-winning actress. She's appeared in blockbuster movies like Marvel's Doctor Strange, as well as many independent films. She is a television reporter, a documentary filmmaker, a radio host, an interviewer, film director, and screenwriter. And on top of that, she has a PhD in neuroscience. I hope we've got enough time to talk about everything. Elizabeth, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I'm just so excited about some of the amazing women that I'm getting to meet through creating this podcast. And I'm always fascinated, like, how did you get to this point? You're, the, you're all of these things. And you, and I think back when I was training, um, you, you had to sort of choose to be one thing. You were, and it was an actress for me. I was a dancer, then an actress. I couldn't be a dancer and an actress. I had to sort of retrain to be a serious actress. How... I'd like to break down for all of us, really, how you can start at one point from school or from an inspiration and, and go on this journey to, to have all these accomplishments. Can you, can you think of that starting point? Yeah, I think, you know, looking back, I think you just sometimes go down a path for various reasons. And then sometimes you realise this isn't necessarily what I want to do or the path I want to continue on and it doesn't mean that the path you've been on isn't valid or you haven't learned a lot along the way there just comes a point where you think "Mm -mm, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life and that's kind of what happened to me I mean to be honest with you I always knew I wanted to be an actress when the age of eight eight or nine I never told anybody um I was quite quiet I uh didn't really have anything you know I wasn't into drama at school although I wanted to be and my family weren't from that world so it wasn't the sort of thing I was familiar with and so you know you find yourself on a road of academia you know it's sort of you do one thing and then you're good at that and then before you know it you've gone to university and then I was offered a a PhD position which I did Um, and then I I, I realised when I was offered a postdoc and I'd gone back, I thought, no, I can't, this isn't for me. And it wasn't that I didn't love science because I always have loved science. I think it's the human, it's, it's human science, it's human physiology. I've always loved the human condition and what makes us do what we do. And so I kind of moved closer to the camera, if you like, and started working in, in science within television and one thing led to another and I was asked to do a screen test for presenting and then I got into drama school and then suddenly I I found myself with this career of being in front of the camera presenting and then also being in front of the camera acting Um, and you're right there was a point where people said oh you can't do both you need to be you need to make a choice you know people won't take you seriously Um, but I think things have changed and I think we are allowed to be good at more than one thing and I would encourage everyone who thinks that they have to make a choice not to, unless it's what they want to do. Yes. And I also think that that you can't separate, um, you, you said it very well, actually, you can't separate your science background from 
from your performance background because you've made a connection to, you know, the intricate working of a human being, which is exactly what actors and writers, filmmakers study. What's the intricate workings of these human beings, whether it's a true story documentary or if it's a, a narrative you know, if it's a, a piece of fiction, uh, you know, you, you can't separate those two. So having that background, you know, it's always going to somehow inform you in a different way than another creative or performer. Completely. And I think, you know, you learn so much stuff along the way. And I think people say to me, oh, you do lots of different things. I say, no, I don't actually. They're all totally linked because it's all about story. It's all about storytelling. So, you know, if I'm interviewing somebody about something medical or some sciencey thing actually I'm asking questions because I want to draw out what they care about what their passion is what what drives them to do what they do and it's similar to what I do in the dramatic world whether it's on stage or whether it's me in front of the camera or or writing you know I'm interested in the human condition what is it that drives us as human beings what is it that makes us get up in the morning, what we care about. Um, so it's all about storytelling. What, did you go day. to drama school or did yeah. you sort of, where did you go? I went to a, a drama school here in London. I did a one-year postgrad. Um, and funnily enough, I think I came out of that thinking, okay, now I've got a qualification. I am an actor. Yeah, <laughs> an yeah, you, you had the validation. Yeah, but actually I didn't. I didn't, don't think it changed me that much. It just gave me a badge. Yes. Um, I think you know deep down what you're doing and if it's the right thing for you. And when people ask me, oh, you know, should I act? I think only if you have got no choice. It's too hard. Yes. It, it, yes. You know what I mean? Well, and I feel a little bit the same about filmmaking when I decided I really, really wanted to direct and I felt I didn't have technical skills or education. I, I sort of pondered going to film school. There are many ways to to get to where you're going and you might go off on a bit of a U-turn or a bit of a circle and come back around and and finally go, I don't know, Just I just don't know why I wasn't doing this all along. But you have other life experiences to bring to it. And I think, as you said, Alexandra, you know, um, being on set, you learn so much. You absorb so much. You watch. You, you know how it all works. And so when I found myself in the director's position for the first time, directing my own thing, my own script... It, it comes naturally. Yes, okay, you don't know all the tech, you don't know as much about the camera and the gizmos and everything, but to be honest with you, that's what the team is for, that you create around you. That's their expertise. If you have a vision and you have the emotional connection to what you're talking about or trying to communicate, that's all you need, you know, and have a good, clear idea. I think I read I read something very similar to that when I was struggling with my lack of technical, not just my technical knowledge, but my lack of technical interest. I just, it's just not the way my my brain processes information. And uh, somebody said, no, that you don't have to. That's what the cinematographer is for. And he has an entire team of, if you've got enough money, he's got an entire team you know, helping him set camera and lights and levels. You've got an entire team, you know, doing the costume and wardrobe, which I do enjoy because it's the visual aspect. But really your job is to to know the story and have a vision and the tone. And, and that's one thing that's very exciting when you do know that, especially if you've written the script, you should know it. And, you know, and then it goes into post-production with sound and 
your editor and your your you know the composer like there are all these elements where all of those one-to-one relationships with each element is so important and and it layers and layers and layers and that that's I just I hadn't expected not to have to know everything yeah and I think you, you sort of hit it on the nail on the head really it is about relationships but I think as a director as a film director from my perspective is you need to be able to work with actors I think and that's a skill I think a lot of people um, underestimate and also I think actors can do it quite well I think because we understand the process we understand what it feels like to be directed um, I think that gives some insight and that it doesn't necessarily come out yeah. fully formed as well that do you know can take a couple of takes or no let's try it this way let's try it that way I, I, I was telling you, you know how few female directors I had been directed by but also how few directors actually had any experience of the actor's experience they had come from being cinematographers or editors they come from all these different technical backgrounds only now are you seeing so many more uh, actors directing themselves or not being in the film at all and directing something uh, without themselves in it have you ever directed yourself no 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 no. And I don't think I would. I think the, the, the film that I did, I wrote and directed. I thought I can't be in it too. That's too much. And I didn't want to be. I really didn't want to be. I think for me, they're quite separate. Um, and it's just a choice that I think I've made. Um, if I'm acting, I want to concentrate on that. <laughs> and if I'm directing, I want to concentrate on that. Yes, I, I admire the the ability greatly, but I don't think I'd have I just don't think I'd enjoy it because I wouldn't enjoy either either job well enough. Mm. I mean, directing is a t- directing is a totally different discipline. I mean, you've got to have an overview. You've got to have, you know, in a lot of ways, acting is is a much simpler approach. You know, there's one, and and it's not saying it's easy, but you can concentrate on one thing and just your part in it all. Whereas with a, as you know, as being a director, it's so much more than that. And I think the discipline is to stay focused on what you need to focus on at any one time. That's something that you that can be a bit of a challenge, which is why it's so important for you to have a good team around you, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's why you see directors use the same people, the same crew, same creatives over and over again. Why would you try and fix it if it's worked, you know, exactly before? Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. So tell me um, a little bit about um, some of your projects. What What have you? What was your first film that you, the, what your first film was the, the short that you wrote? No. Well, in terms of directing. Yes. 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 That was some uh, sorry a uh, personal story that inspired that, um, and that was called the Angel of Hull, and it's sort of about the. The, the juxtaposition between comedy and tragedy. So it's very much about something that goes horribly, sort of a tragedy, but you find humour within it. And I love that. It's about how people glance at each other in life and influence each other, but they don't really understand the impact they've had. So, um, yeah, based up in Hull in, in Yorkshire in England. Uh, uh, and it was good fun. Yeah, it was it was really lovely to be able to see your words come to life by brilliant actors that was fantastic 
yeah. yeah and 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 then you you've written it and you you reread it and rewrite it over and over and then you hand it over to an actor and then they find all these other things in it and they bring things to the table that you didn't even think about and then you go of course it works beautifully i remember my my one of my lead actors he decided in one scene just to suck a boiled sweet. It was a genius, genius choice, and it was just so fabulous. And that that little addition really heightened the moment that I wanted to heighten, and that was totally him, totally yeah. him. But it yeah. was joyous, joyous, yeah. yeah. Of course, yeah. one of your next scripts, you're going to go, you know, John sucks a boiled sweet. You're going to try and <laughs> some piece of business. But actors do love business, don't they? So you had your short film in the can, and what was the next process after that? Say somebody's just made their short film, what, what should they be doing with that? Well, I think, obviously, a short film, you make a short film as a bit of a showcase. You don't really expect to make any money out of it, or it's it's just something that you want to create and do. And then uh, my advice would be you just want to get it seen. You just want to get it out there. And and for me, it was very much about getting it into the festivals. Um I was fortunate enough that I, I worked with somebody who was quite good at that and I employed somebody to help me come up with a strategy um, to help me decide which film festivals to try and get it into, looking at the subject matter, the, the length, all that sort of thing, and coming up with a, an idea of where it would fit best. And, of course, you know, there are some short films that get nominated for all sorts of extraordinary awards like BAFTAs and Oscars and things. And understanding that some festivals qualify for that and some don't obviously the ones that do qualify are going to be much more competitive than the ones that don't but so you have to marry up getting the film seen and getting an audience for it and also trying to get it into places where you might get recognized for it yeah. so and it's, it's very um, expensive it, it, it adds up to do all those submissions and then get a, oh, we've had so so much, such a high quality of submissions this year. We're so sorry to inform you that yours didn't make it. But please keep going and all that stuff. Those And I think that's right. I mean, you don't do it really. You, I mean, I don't know about you, but I make stories that I just want to make. There's something compels you to do it. Um, and then, of course, you, you know, you try to get it seen and you want to try and build an audience for it. Um, but that's not where you start. Um, that's not where I started anyway, but it is a fantastic thing to do. And there's nothing greater than seeing your film pop up on a big screen. It's the most thrilling thing. And I remember when I did my first screening in Soho here in London, um, a director I've worked with who I really, whose opinion I really do respect, just looked over his shoulder at me and just went thumbs up and you go, Oh gosh, thank goodness. If he thinks it's good, that's okay for me. I don't care. You know? So, um, and you've been working on a documentary yeah. over lockdown. Yes, huh? I have. Now, just filming anything over lockdown, but yours has a specific subject matter to what was going on last year in London. Do you want to talk about that? Totally. Yeah, I mean, uh, like many independent people, you know, in terms of what we do as work, a lot of my filming just stopped. You know, a lot of my stuff was going abroad and everything just was just shelved and I found myself with a lot of time on my hands and so I volunteered for um, a homeless charity that was there was a lot of homeless people in London who hadn't been taken up by the government all-in scheme um, and were living on the streets with no access to water or food because basically everything was shut down there were no churches where they used to get a lot of their no soup kitchens all the restaurants were shut 
all the public toilets were shut so that we couldn't get a wash or get water, you know. So these basic needs were just not there. And um, a friend of mine, actually, who runs uh, this small charity, who also is in the film film world, he works sort of further down the line, getting films made and various things. He asked for volunteers to go and help out, which I did. And then two weeks later, we got a big article in The Guardian, which is a big newspaper here in the UK, and we got a lot of funding and volunteers came. And then I was put together with another filmmaker, cameraman called Frank, brilliant cameraman, um, and we decided to film what was going on. So basically, we were out a lot of the time during the whole of lockdown, filming the volunteers, um, how it all developed, how the homeless people were coping, um, we found volunteers from all sorts of walks of life. You would have a professor of economics from London School of Economics teaching online during the day, then coming out and walking the streets and handing out food and hot drinks and talking to people. Did you feel like it was dangerous? I mean, I feel like a year ago we had, we were being told how actually it was illegal to go out sometimes. There were, there were points of lockdown where you just couldn't go out. Did you feel like you were sort of taking your own life in your hands by... To be honest with you, it was it was a very strange feeling because, yes, absolutely, we did not know about this unknown quantity. We didn't know how severe or how transmissible it was or how severe it was going to be. So there was a lot of unknowns, a lot of unknowns. But there's something about crisis, I think, when it just makes people take action. And there was something so compelling about doing what we, what we did. I mean, I... A lot of the a lot of the volunteers were out every night, you know, five nights a week, more sometimes. And we had about six or seven teams going around different areas of London. And Frank, my cameraman, he did so much filming. But it was also about London, seeing London in that space at that time. It was it's a character in its own right. I mean, I think the footage we have of an empty London. I've never seen London empty, apart from the odd bus going round, nothing apart from a homeless stream of people queuing up the van to get a hot meal. Um, it was extraordinary. Was anybody else filming them? No. Was the news filming them? You're going to end up with this amazing historical document. <laughs> there were some. That time. There were some. Occasionally, you know, they got wind of what was going on. But to be honest with you, I think because we started at the beginning of lockdown and we filmed right up to the end of lockdown, we're just charting the life of London and from the homeless perspective during that time. Um, and it's, it's about the homeless situation, but also about human endeavour and the bravery of the human spirit. Um, and it's called I'm Still Here. And we're now about to go into the edit. Um, and so we're pulling it all together. So we've got... But you must have hours, you have oh, have days goodness of me. footage. It's going to be epic, but I'm just trawling through the interviews as we speak. <laughs> um, Please, will you stay in touch and yes, let of us course. know, like, you know, each step of the way and when there's going to be screenings and stuff like that, because I definitely, you know, we'll want to share that on our socials and and maybe Thank have you. you come back again as as a guest. I would love that. Now, now I've been saying this to all the all the women, you know, you're in the you're in the family now. You're you're one of the daughters. <laughs> You're one of the daughters and we want to keep tabs and, and follow as your journey goes and grows and goes left and right and round the corner and back again. Cause I think that's, that's how this life is. And, and we're all just learning so much from each other. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's the support as well. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes women are pitted against each other and that's not our nature. It's not our nature. I think we're, we're actually... I went to a couple of um, female-centric film festivals with my short film, and I I didn't always feel the atmosphere was very welcoming. I want to change that around and go, well, there's a group of us over here who actually want to bring each other all up and along. If you perceive them there to be a scarcity of funding or opportunities, then you're not making those opportunities for yourself and with the the people around you who also want to make films. That 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 was my takeaway. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if we go back to the documentary, I'm still here. I mean, that started from a tiny, tiny seed. It was just going to let's just monitor what's going on, and then it built into something. And and when people heard about it, we've had funders come come on board because of the trailer and, and the subject matter. We've now got some fantastic producers on board, one of which has just won an Emmy. Um, you know, they Misfit Entertainment. They've did that beautiful documentary about Alexander McQueen. They just won an Emmy for a fantastic documentary called Rising Phoenix about the Paralympics. You know, and 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 they are our producing partners. Fantastic. Um, so have, when you had that first conversation with Frank or whoever it was that was coming out, you couldn't have imagined or create. You know, this is what we're going to do, and then we're going to go because sometimes just the action of doing it, of taking a camera. Yeah. You know, and I talk to young people, and they're like, "How can I make a film?" I'm like, "You've got, you've got a camera in your hand." It's never before been so accessible. The only thing you've got to be sure of is that your sound is good. Yes. You can be a bit fuzzy, but make sure we learned that we on this on this recording. But just just make sure you've got some investment in your sound, or ask somebody to just be in charge of the sound. And also YouTube videos. There's so much information out there that you can sort of self teach. I think. But I think it's also. I mean, find something that inspires you. I remember seeing a short film. Yeah, as an Alicia Duffy short film called "The Most Beautiful Man in the World." And it was very short, beautifully shot, about a little girl on a hot summer day, bored. And it's just beautifully shot. And the story, the narrative story, is hardly any dialogue. In fact, I think there's two lines. Um, And that really inspired me. I thought, oh, that's just so... Not sen- it's not, it is just the, the, the atmosphere she created was so powerful. Um, and to find something that does that for you, because oh, that's what I like, that's what I like. Work out what it is that you like. Well, I wish I'd made that film. Darn it. Why didn't I get to make that? Why didn't I have that brilliant idea? Well, I'm going to find that film. I'm going to watch it now. And I'm going to put a link in the info here because I think you've probably said enough. Now you want, now we all want to, we all want to watch it. Great. actually since we spoke we had to sign off last time because of scheduling things life happened and um now we're back and because life does go on um we've been locked down and unlocked and re-locked down and all this time you've been filming and i imagine editing now your project how's that been going well, funnily enough, we, we are about to start editing next week. So we are quite, and the reason why is that my fellow um, filmmaker, he went off to the Olympics. So he was busy doing the Olympics. 
Um, so we had a bit of a hiatus. So yes, we were we were still filming and we were still interviewing. Just before we went off, we interviewed one of the key players in in uh, in sort of the homeless world, if you like. Um, and she was fantastic. And we've been trying to get hold of her for many, many months. And I think that's a lesson is if there's somebody that you think you really need to hear from in your film, if you're doing a documentary, don't take no for an answer. It's all about building that relationship. And it's all about being patient and approaching them again. And over time, they, in my experience, they do say yes. Yes, you know, if they understand. Yeah, you're, and why could you have you been able to put your finger on why they said no in the first place, or were they just yeah. hard to approach? No, no, a she was incredibly busy, uh, very very busy, and a real sort of powerhouse, an amazing woman with bright pink hair and just one of these women that's moving and shaking the whole world. She was so incredible. The reason is, oh yes, she was very very busy, but also I think sometimes people are a bit um, suspicious of media, suspicious of film, particularly when the subject you're trying to explore could could be skewed one way or the other. You know, you, I think you have to be very careful about the tone you're taking and, and be very clear about what your approach is and that what they're saying isn't going to be taken out of context. How, so, were you, how were you able to do that? Were you able to put together a little sequence of what you had shot already and say, look, we promise you this is what it's going to come out like. Even when you do a script that's a written fictional mm. narrative, you have no control as an actor over the final result because it's totally. in the hands of the director. And you may find something as you're in the edit that organically, you know, transforms it potentially into something else. So you're, mm. you're both sort of treading a line of trust, even though the power is in your totally. hands. And I think as a performer, as somebody who's spent most of her career in front of the camera and is now moving behind the camera, there, there is a responsibility that you hand over to the filmmaker, whether it's fiction or whether it's it's non-fiction, whether it's, you know, this particular documentary it, it, it is real life and we're reflecting what went on during, during COVID on the streets of London. So you have a responsibility to represent that fairly. Um, and so I, I take that very seriously because people are stepping in front of our camera with goodwill. And I feel it's a responsibility to make sure that I'm representing them as they would like to be represented. And if I'm going to change that, then I feel it's our responsibility as filmmakers to let them know that's how it's going to be. And I think um, that comes from your unique standpoint as having been a performer and a presenter and mm -hmm. watching stuff back that doesn't relate to anything you thought was going on in your head at the yeah. time. And, yeah. and I think maybe um, you wouldn't get that from somebody who'd only been, only been the story maker, not the storyteller yeah. in the documentary. And yeah, how, but do I, you, how do you know when to stop filming as well? Because the story doesn't really end, does it? No. Um, well, we've had to be quite strict with ourselves and said this. And, and also you have to think about the film and the festivals you want to get it into and the timeline. I mean, you do have to be quite strict. I find we're, we're saying, OK, it's got to be done. We've got to get the, the first version by this date and then we've got to get the music done by this date. And, you know, so... You do have to be strict with yourself, but you get a sense of this is the third act and it's coming to a conclusion and then how it might 
come to a conclusion may may develop in the edits. Um, but I guess the, there becomes a sense the protagonists within it are telling their story, and you get a sense, I think, as a storyteller, that this this is coming to a conclusion. I am. I imagine your background in presenting nonfiction that you there's there's an element of knowing when the story is coming to an end and coming to a conclusion, because with documentary, of course, it can go on and on and on. People's you know even when people's lives end, their stories don't necessarily. And yeah. and I just wonder, you know, you're about to embark upon the edit, which unlike doing a narrative where the the script ends you have to know where your where your story finds that button or a conclusion or you're like you said you're going to discover things that you really didn't even know were there when you were filming i mean to be fair we have sketched the overview so we have a backbone of the film so we have you know three act structure and we know what we need and once you do that you can see holes like, oh I need to go back and get a bit of that or whatever um so you do have an overview of of how it's going to be what the minutiae are and the the, the emotion the emotive points and all of that will come out in the edit but you do when you know you've got a bit of gold you clock it you just clock it when somebody says something that just moves you you know it's going to move the audience. So, for example, we've got a tiny um, bit of footage of a homeless guy who had his guitar stolen. Right, this guy's in his 70s. And all he had was his guitar. He loved his guitar. So the charity managed to find, put out a, a call and a new guitar was found for him. Um, and we've got him sitting down playing a bit of Pink Floyd on this guitar. And it's the most extraordinary bit of film we knew when we were filming it, it was just extraordinary. A, because this man had a new guitar. A, the, and B, the, the song he chose to play and what it meant to him, this gravelly voice in this dark, damp um, uh, archway in, in, in London. It was just gold. And you think, oh gosh, it's going to cost a lot to use that track because it's Pink Floyd, but it's got to go in. So you know there's certain elements that you're going to hang things on. Um, and so, yes, as a presenter, I was a presenter. I am a presenter, but I'm also the one that's talking to the producer. What are we getting out of this? Why are we here? What do we want this particular participant to, to reveal to us? Um, so, you know, you get a sense. And I'm very much driven by vision, about pictures. And I see it in my brain, whether it's, uh, narrative or whether it is non-fiction I can see it in pictures and so as long as I have my post-it notes on my board and I can pull them and reshape them and rejig them I get a sense of when it's working and when it's not yes. um, and I think you know, for me it's not about rules it's about following your instincts and what would I want to watch what I want to learn I want to be moved I want to be changed when I come out of the cinema whatever I'm watching and that is my premise, is that is my driving force, is, is this affecting me? Do I need it? And if it's excess, it's got to go. So really? that's kind of how I approach it. Let me ask a little bit about, um, as a presenter, um, and you're, it, I'm imagining when I 
imagine that. I think of you standing with a microphone with a little cube on it, reporting <laughs> on something that's just happened, like a storm or something. Or you're presenting in a program that has a story and you're, yeah. you're telling stories about um, science, yeah. science or, or whatever. Yeah, so the stories that I tell are not reportage. They're not factual. Yes, we explore things, so for all, but it's very human driven. It's the story behind the tech, behind the science, behind the medicine. What it, and it can be very high tech or it can be very low tech. So, for example, I was in El Salvador reporting on, I said reporting, making a documentary on young fit men dying of kidney disease in El Salvador without any reason because they were very fit, very healthy. And what we went in with a, an armed guard. We had to make sure we weren't going to different gang areas. Well, sometimes we couldn't film because violence had happened the night before. You know, it was a very tense situation. But these sugarcane workers were dying because they were working in blazing heat, basically doing two marathons a day without a break and no water and no shade. So, so the intervention, if you like, is very simple. You know, they were doing some research about what happens if we give them water and shade, regular breaks. You know, you know that's that that was a very simple low tech intervention. But the story behind it is Manuel, whose father died of this, his brother died of it, his other brothers, um, he's ill with it. His mother can't see him because he lives in a different part of the city from here from her, and they can't cross gang lines. You know, this. His wife went out to sell water when he was couldn't work because they were earning five dollars a ton of sugar cane. You know, this this is human lives, and that's what it's about. It's not about me reporting on the latest earthquake or whatever. I'm not a reporter in that sense. I go in and I find the human story behind the the, the tech or the the intervention, whatever it is. And do you do you stand behind the camera and let the person talk, or do you find yourself standing next to that person and wanting to have a conversation? Because that's two different dynamics of of telling the story in a documentary form. When I'm doing that, I'm in front. I'm in front of the camera. It's all about building trust and being empathetic and really listening. And I think. That's the biggest skill, I think, in any kind of storytelling is having the ability to listen and to make people feel safe. Because if they feel safe, they're, they're more likely to, to show their vulnerability. And as human beings, our vulnerability is what drives us, it what pulls us together. Um, and I think our vulnerability is a strength. Yes, yes. And, and I think um, as audience as well we don't we don't want to see success after success of this you know talk about it all the time you know what when you're writing or even when you're trying to find the story in a documentary what's the conflict is you know what's the problem that this hero of your story is going to have to overcome a couple of times before they reach a conclusion and um I'm particularly interested in documentary uh, because I'm about to embark upon one myself. But having come solely from narrative, from theatre, Shakespeare, uh, you know, movies, TVs, all made up, made up, made up. Me too, um, me too. But they, you know, bit, what I love, what I find myself really liking, though, is 
stories based on a true story, based on somebody's real life, on how somebody became, overcame a life issue or have made their name in history because of a certain thing they did. And it's nearly always a good biopic because they had to overcome a whole slew of obstacles to get I mean that's very little is handed to people even in history in in life very that's the one thing that you know is hard to impress upon young people and young people coming into this business they look at x factor or Britain's Got Talent and they go oh all I have to do is get past that few a few first live auditions and then I'm on the live show and 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 I have a platform and of course it's not always that simple. No, it's not all that simple. I mean, I think there's a book I've just, uh, I'm optioning at the moment for a feature, um, and that's a story. But I think even within fiction, you know, there's always life lessons in the stories I want to tell. There's always life lessons. And whether you take a real story or your inspiration from a real life story and then transpose it into fiction, you keep those lessons and you keep that um, that naturalism in it and I think for me that's what compels me to do what I do really I think also there's the trap of going I've got my my life is a story my life is a movie and you should you should make a movie out of it I'm like okay um and I read recently um a script that was based on somebody's growing up you know coming of age story and it was really clear that it was not dramatized it was exactly what those people said and there was some there was a there were gaps in the story which also what makes me think of is like never let the truth get in the way of a good story where we're allowed to take artistic license and twist or heighten something and coming back to your documentary and trying to and you know allowing yourself to pursue somebody who might be a little wary of that how are you going to frame what I say straight to camera, how are you going to reframe that for the purposes of your story? And I and I agree, you have to be very careful not to do that in, in the room and then not to do that in the edit. Mm. And I think, you know, you can go in with certain questions, but I think you always have to be prepared to go off piste. You always have to learn to improvise. And I mean, I did a film as a performer, as an actress, um, not that long ago, a few years ago, called Across the River. It was all set in London. And the whole feature was improvised. It was just me as a lead and then an actor. And we, it was just us two, talking and walking around London. It was a bit, I suppose, a bit like before sunset, and it was yeah. inspired by that sort of thing. Um, and it was totally improvised. And I learned a lot by that because I loved it, actually, having to listen to the other person, knowing the sort of narrative beats you need to expose within a scene but then being free to listen and to improvise and to respond to what's what's in front of you was joyous and I think some of that I've definitely taken into my documentary interview technique is just listen and what the person's telling you is what's interesting to them and if you get them talking about what they're passionate about then suddenly everything changes um like anything in real life did you have much rehearsal on that improvise? Did you sit in a room and go right? When we're walking along the embankment, we're gonna we're gonna. I, I know Larry David and um, uh, oh gosh, what's his show? 
they he he will make a sheet a, a one page okay this is the scene this is what has to happen there's going to be a few jokes in here and by the end of the scene we have to have landed there and uh and and the actors all go okay and off they go did you do any of that or did how um no not a lot we knew we we talked a lot about the characters about their relationship about their history the idea was that these two people met um later in life by chance there was a uh, the idea is that there's a, a chief strike in london and these two people who used to be live used to live together were in a serious relationship and had been apart for a number of years suddenly find each other face to face it's just like a rom-com comedy yeah um and so we knew within a scene well, what we needed to reveal. But how we got there was up to us. Uh, so that made sure that we knew that the place of that scene in the story, because obviously you can't jump ahead and you can't jump back. You've got to make sure you're on track. So there are caveats, there are boundaries, but within that, you can play. Yeah. And so what you get is those wonderful improvisational moments that you can't get when you script something yeah. I mean I think you have to be very careful because when it's purely improvisational you it can be a little bit saning so you have to make sure you're getting those dramatic yes gear, gear changes that you can factor in when the script is written and yes. it's set well apparently that's how Mike Lee does yeah he does he does I find you know I watch those very a lot of his films have huge scope to them with lots of different characters living scenes simultaneously and then they're all tied together and apparently that none of the actors know what the outcome of the they don't get a script they literally no, are a great friend of mine's worked with him really so, really i mean yeah, it yeah. sounds like a nightmare and a, and a dream job all in one because you just have to be on your toes all the time um and and then he sits down and he trans he transcribes everything they've said and and then he has a script so he literally reverse engineers the whole thing curb mm. your enthusiasm is the oh, no. show i was thinking of oh my god I, I bet everyone anyone listening was screaming the show at their at their computer <laughs> curb your enthusiasm but it, you know that that shows you know a few years ago now and it's become quite a I think quite a popular way for people to do web series and to do mm. because say if you if you're an actor but you don't consider yourself much of a writer I I didn't for a lot the longest time and it's what stopped me maybe sitting down and opening final draft you know I was afraid of I was even afraid of final draft I wasn't going to understand the program and and you know if you if you've got a story this is what I keep saying to young to those young folk just just start filming stuff unlike yeah. theater you can chop and change and cut it together and make it make it what you want you know which is what yeah. you're going to be doing with your documentary that's very do you have a title for the documentary it yes still? it's called i'm still here i'm still here and i also want to go back to something very interesting you said about um planning and scheduling for film festivals because it's not mm. just all about your artistic time being used in the best possible way there's there's the business side of it and the and the exposing it and launching it on the public side of it which has to which has to play into it you have to be quite disciplined and it sounds like actually that's quite a nice parameter to have yeah i mean when i did my first short film that i wrote and directed um i did 
because you know you're coming to this quite new really and I did decide to go down the route of, of employing somebody to help me with the first film festival scheduling to to look at my film they wanted to represent it and say okay well you know what it's about you know the length of it what festivals do you think it would be suitable for and and that was for me that was a a, it's a great load off your shoulders if you get on with this person obviously you trust them with it so then you get on with other things because it's quite an involved process to be on top of the dates and the closing dates and the fees and all the rest of it so I think to anyone listening just think about the festivals because as I'm sure that everyone who, who's listening knows there are some festivals that are, are BAFTA and Oscar um qualifiers so if you get into those festivals you can then be entered into the oscars and the baftas um which is great obviously those festivals are probably harder to get into than some of the smaller ones so when you are thinking about your schedule your your um film festival uh scheduling mix it up so i i said to, to the woman i was working with i want my film to be seen okay so I want it to be out there, but I also want it to, to probably try and get some awards. Of course you do. So spread it, spread it. Get the word out, get the film seen, and also try and get it into some of the festivals that will, will help you on your career. Um, because it's great to get the feedback from the audience. It really is fantastic. Uh, to sit in an auditorium and, and watch people's faces they're watching your film is just such a brilliant thing. Um, and get feedback from from you know regular people going to the cinema or wherever you happen to be screening it. So choose smaller festivals, some medium ones, and the big ones as well, and see how you get on. I I have a thing about uh, short films too that are too long. I've, I've been to many short film festivals with films I've been in and uh, films I've made, and um, my my films are about they're less than 10 minutes and I think that's a short film but some of these films are like 35 minutes which is equivalent to like a television episode and mm -hmm. so they put all the short ones at the front and then they end it with the long one and you can feel people sort of jiffling in their seats because they they've come to see a short film festival and it's not so much that because clearly everyone's allowed to make a film a short film as long as they like but a tip I found too was don't make it too long because it's harder mm. for those uh for the film festivals to curate longer films program. get more mm. short films into one screening program if you're a you know the two minuters and the three and five minuters they they get into more festivals because they're just quick and dirty and to the point and I think you know like a like an on-point tweet if you can get in and out in a in a short amount of time sometimes you have much more impact than just sort of whinging on for 25 minutes mm -hmm. I think it's something to be aware of is how long does it have to be and you know what are you trying to say with a short film I think the best short film I ever saw was literally two minutes long and it had no dialogue. And I've never forgotten it, never forgotten it, because visually it was so striking. Um, and I think sometimes we want to put, put too much into a short film. 
Yes, it's a different I've genre. Only got, it stands I've only on got its own. Seven minutes. Let's or you know you haven't. It's your first or second, and it took you so much, or you had this lucky break to get this one shot, and you cannot let it go because in the back of your mind, you know that's like killing your babies when you're writing. I wrote this really awesome scene or this fantastic line. And it might have to go and maybe a scene has to go because you need to get to your point sooner. But I get, but having said all that, how do you learn if you don't do all that and go around that loop and then look back a few years later and go, "Mm, I see now, I can see it now. Yeah. I think we'd all look back and go, we'll do things differently. But then that's part of the process, isn't it? It is. It is. Yes. And, And sometimes it's, dangerous to think that um we should be self-editing or literally self-editing our own personalities or or our work I saw a 25-year anniversary screening of Gandhi and uh, a lot of people involved in the film were there including the director Richard Attenborough and he got up at the end and he just went oh my gosh oh I haven't seen that film for so long and I saw all the mistakes and the stuff we didn't get and everyone was like shh shh, what are you talking about you won all those Oscars you can't even at at any level you can't possibly you can't possibly not wish you had done it differently but you know that comes that that makes me think that it actually doesn't matter what you've what you feel about the films you do it's all about what the, the audience feels about what you do that's what we do it for it's not for us to watch our own films our own home it's for it to change and move other people so you know as an as a performer as well I know that you know the times when I've been on stage and things have gone wrong and people said oh that was great I remember one time I got the lines totally wrong totally wrong it was ridiculous I won't go into it now but it just popped out of my head and I thought oh can't leave that out there I'm gonna to have to change it somehow and sort of said something to correct it but after I was in the bar I remember these people coming up to me and saying oh I love that joke you did I'm like oh that was the best bit you know so sometimes you don't know it's about the audience what they go away feeling and thinking and doing that yes. is the important thing I think but it's the hardest part for us I know because because we're not we're not out there looking in. We are we're where we are <laughs> in our our own little sort of eye of the storm. Yeah. And um, I think we talked a bit too about um, being actors in our own films and how that that should, that to me would be a nightmare. You know, it's hard enough being an actor. It's even harder being the director and usually the producer because at our level we're producing as well. Um, And to do the two, unless you have somebody who you absolutely trust to stand on the monitor while you're... No, I don't even want to... I I don't know why I'm even trying to work out how that might be a good idea. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, now you're doubling... You're doubling your, your prism of self criticism and 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 just constantly yeah. second guessing um I guess uh, I'm yeah talking about myself and assuming you're the same way but uh, uh, no I think it's, it's not like something I would even no yeah. it's I when I'm acting I want to concentrate on acting when I'm presenting I want to concentrate on that when I'm behind the camera I want to concentrate on that I think that for me it's not necessarily something I want to mix maybe I will at some point I mean I'm working on quite a big movie at the minute 
um, sort of helping produce it, but I'm in it. Um, I can't talk too much about it. It's got some very big, big stars in it. Um, and, you know, there's going to be one point where I kind of step away and just don't concentrate on anything other than than what I'm going to be doing in front of the camera. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how they do it, do both. Yeah, I think they have a lot of support and um and also good DOP and a good first definitely yeah 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 um I was talking to an actress the other day she was like this is a slightly different subject but you said DP she's like I work with these inexperienced directors and they spend all the time with the DP and they're spending time with us we're in the corner going can we have a rehearsal you know we don't mind just going through it a couple of times give us this little bit in the corner She'd never get any notes. You never get any notes, and they're over there chatting. Let the let the cinematographer frame the thing. He'll be fine. Come and work with us. And I thought, oh gosh, that's a well. Of course, I'm gonna. But she's talking about directors who come from usually from a technical background. They're, well, they've been DPs themselves, so they want to chat, make sure the DP's doing what they would do. They've been editors. They've been all a lot of, or they're just directors who haven't worked with actors or been to an acting class and observed the different ways that actors come up she said we're just expected to come up with it and of course when you're really that's why if you're really talented you keep getting hired all the time because you can sort of do it on your own and I just found that to be a really depressing thought but to be fair I don't think all the movies movies I've done it I can name just a couple where we've had rehearsal it's the way it is. I mean, time's money on a film set, on a on a movie. You know, you show up, you hit your mark, you do your lines, you do it a few times, you want to cut and you want to the next. It's not theatre. Um, if you happen to be with a director who comes from a theatre background, who wants to work that way, then great. But um, in my experience, it's very rare you get rehearsal on a film set. But I didn't get rehearsal with my actors. I, you know, even going in and trying to make small adjustments was, there was all this, come on, come on, you know, like watch tapping and teeth sucking kind of behind my back. But it was, and I was aware too of our super tight schedule. Mm. But, you know, unless you have, unless you have the luxury of time, but I think what she was saying is that even when, even when it's a, there is time in it, that's not spent on the actors. No, but I think that comes to casting. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're doing a, a drama or a narrative, if you get the casting right and you have confidence in your performers, then actually let them get on with it. They know what they're doing. They're professionals. Yes. They can take direction on in the moment, you know, next take, do that, whatever. For me, I think, and as having been an actor, I'm an actor, I, I, I quite like being allowed to just explore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, our casting is very important, I think, because they know what they're doing. Mm. They should know what they're doing. And the ones that need a little bit of help, fine, you know, young or new or whatever. But I think allowing an actor to be instinctive is very important. Yes. To listen. Yes. And so too much, too much direction, too much management. I think you lose that that improvisational feel, that that listening quality that we were just talking about. Yes. Yeah, that is that's very that's a very good point. Yes. And and maybe um the directors 
instinct is to go in there and sort of mess it up a bit when it was just fine. But at least then you have some choices as well. You know, you have some choices of take. I remember, uh, this is a long time ago, um, uh, a, a filmmaker friend, we were at a sort of dinner after the screening and the main actor was like, oh gosh, I think I just gave you some awful performance, you know, oh, God, I, I just, you know, cause he was being all, you know, self-critical. And I said, well, maybe you gave two or three choices, but the director chose his, he made his choice. You might have thought you made some better ones, but he chose what, and he's like, oh, thank you so much for saying that. I was like, well, yeah, it's not theater. If you do, if you do it two or three times, you do it the same way every time. That's what they get. So you have a bit of control. But if you play with it a bit, then everybody gets to, you know. Mm. And also, the directors looking at and the editor are looking at the whole, not just that one moment. And and uh, where everyone fits into the narrative, not just your performance or your character. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. important. You know, you're you're a cog in the whole machine. I think that's. That's the difference between being an actor, you've got one job. As a director, you've got lots of jobs. Your head's all over the place. So I think that comes down to the team you put around you. It's very important who you decide to work with, whether it's in front of the camera, behind the camera, whatever. You need, it's a collective filmmaking, you know, generally. And and it's very important to have people that you can lean on. That's yeah. what I love about it too. Yes, Me leaning too. on people. Yeah. Finding people you can lean on. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Please, please, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about that? Is there another way we could frame that? Or, you know, um, you know, we need those people. Yeah. And as young That's filmmakers starting with. out, yes. yeah, it's, it's, you know, you have to be aware of so many things, continuity, this, that, the other, you know, when you get a little bit further down the line and you can start bringing people to look at that department and take charge of it, that's great. You can focus on what you can focus on, which is your vision for what, what you want to create. So team, your team, the people you're working with and the crew is so important. Yes, yes. And and you see why, too, people, directors and producers work with the same people over and over again because yeah. when you fi- even if you find one golden person, there's usually at least one who who saves the day over and over then you you keep them on your on your list yes listen mm. this has been an an incredible addition to what we were talking about before thank you so much for coming back elizabeth it's been just lovely and so informative um i love being able to sort of break down what we're doing what we're trying to do sharing it with anybody who's listening, anybody who cares. And I know there are a lot of young women and and men out there trying to just tell stories. And yeah. um, I'm very excited to see your two projects. Oh, thank you. So, and, and I know I said this, but we're going to have you back when they're out in the world. Let, let's come <laughs> back and then talk about the next things you're doing. Because, you know, it's it, this is not an end. It's just a pause lovely no it's been such a joy thank you so much for inviting me i've loved it i really really have so thank you so much yes indeed fierce female filmmakers is a production of artemisia's daughters for more information go to artemisiasdaughters.org our theme tune is composed by charlie mackie